welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast. I'm your host, Eric Termundi, and I'm excited to introduce you to the wonderful guests I've got on season two and the little things they're doing to create a more intentional future for themselves, for their teams, and for the communities around them. I hope you enjoy. Sabrina Maharelli, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? So good. So good. Now, uh, our relationship started with a whiteboard in front of us where we were trying to tackle some of the world's biggest problems in an hour or two. And you know what? I think we covered a lot of ground. Since then, you have run leaps and bounds. I've, I've loved seeing the work that you're doing, the places that you're sharing your message and the organization that you're building. But you know, I don't want my guests to hear it from me. I'd rather them hear it from you. What are you up to and what are you excited about right now? Sure. So I have founded an organization called Designing for Inclusion, really focused around creating workplace experiences and customer experiences that are inclusive and designed for everyone in mind. What I found throughout my career is that typically, especially when I was looking at the product side and the customer side, is that diversity, equity, and inclusion is always uh, something that was left out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about it as an afterthought, I think, in the employee experience. And we don't talk about it at all in the customer experience. Interesting. And so I really uh, decided to create a company that that is takes a holistic approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion and looks at ways of integrating that into experiences for everyone. So when it comes to the customer experience, then where are we getting it most wrong? Ah, that's a good question. Well, I think the first thing is that we don't involve the people that represent the diversity of our communities in the way that we create our services and and the way that we design our products. I think very typically it's easy for us to to think that we're being diverse and reaching out to our particular networks or in in our specific region and in gathering folks for uh, our research purposes and for our product testing purposes. Mm -hmm. But really, if if we ask ourselves about the different identities and lived experiences that exist within our community and the potential for us to tap into such a wide market as our customer base, are we really listening? And are we really getting the insights from folks that carry these different lived experiences? And how, if they're not represented on our team, which I think is the first issue, then you know, how are we tapping into those voices and those experiences to get feedback and input in the design? So I don't want to name any negative names or anything like that, and you know, or put any company on the spot in particular, though if you want to, feel free. Um, at the same time, I, I want to know if there, like, if there's an example sort of top of mind of something that you see around the city or a product or a service that hasn't done a good job of doing this and, and on the flip side, someone that has. And sort of what, what I'm really getting at next is like, what is this process of being more inclusive and understanding, you know, the customer experience and, and how do you do it poorly and how do you do it well? Yeah, so I can share some examples just without naming any names, mm-hmm. just of organizations from from so many different facets. So whether we look at our marketing, for example, you know, who are the folks that are represented in marketing? Are they straight, able-bodied? Are they white? Are they men? Are they women? You know, what what is the diversity in our marketing campaigns? And, and oftentimes, I think, especially after this recent uh, Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen a lot of organizations plaster black squares on their social media and sure. start to incorporate black folks in their, in their marketing campaigns. And what I'm saying is it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just putting a face on your campaign, mm-hmm. but really also 
looking at like the, what goes on behind the scenes in terms of how you're creating your product and your service and incorporating them. Does your product uh, service that market? Mm -hmm. Um, And also the authenticity in, and the way in which you've portrayed individuals. So an example is um, sometimes we see, we think about the movies and you think about the way in which black folks are typically portrayed in movies. And then you think about the way that maybe a Middle Eastern person is portrayed in mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the way white people are portrayed in movies. Well, white folks get to play every single role. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Black or it, beca- or it comes to Middle Eastern or it comes to, you know, folks with different identities, they typically play the same types of roles. Why? Mm-hmm. And we end up reinforcing a lot of stereotypes through our media. So similarly, when we look at creating our marketing campaigns, it's about thinking about stereotypes that we're reinforcing through the individuals that we, that we uh, decide to put on our campaigns. You know, mm-hmm. are we challenging stereotypes? Are we thinking about it differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when it comes to product design, if you look at what Google has done, Google is a really good example of an organization that's, that's invested quite heavily in product design and product inclusion. For example, a Google Assistant was tested by a variety of folks to make sure that it did not offend people from different backgrounds. If you ask Google, do Black Lives Matter? Google will will respond, of course, Black Lives Matter. Or will say, I think now it's changed to say, saying Black Lives Matter doesn't mean all lives don't. And Mm. so it's created very conscious technology, technology that is... um, considering the different types of questions that will be asked and if, tech, if, if folks may use it to offend somebody or, or do something in a discriminatory way. So mm-hmm. really just taking into account um, these types of scenarios is really critical when you want to uh, attract a diverse audience to utilize your products mm-hmm. without having escalations or uh, negative reputational damage. I mean, I, I, I love everything that you're saying. And if I'm a small business, I want to know how I can act on some of these things. It's no secret that these tech giants have wicked margins, have eight, nine, 10 figures in the bank, <laughs> just unspeakable cash where you can invest and pilot a whole bunch of different tests. I might be a small business that did put a, a black square on on my Instagram that uh, is using a more diverse crowd in my marketing, and I'm and I'm trying I'm trying my best, and I want to be able to do more. But you know, I might have I don't mean but as an, as an exception. I mean, but my margins are tight. I'm running a small business. There isn't a ton of cash in the bank. What can I do? What are the steps that I can take right now? to be more diverse, to be more equitable, to be more inclusive, and to bake this into not just a one-off campaign, like we might've seen a lot of, but to what you're saying around this idea of authenticity, to to make it a part of the company and the best practices moving forward. Yeah, so you wanna build it into the fabric of the DNA of your organization. And I think the way to do that first is by listening. Okay. And by educating yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a, as a business owner, if you're a small business owner, or even if you're in a, a large multinational corporation, educating yourself around the issues and perspectives that exist outside of your own lens and your own mm-hmm. bias. So as much information that you can bring awareness to and, and start mm-hmm. learning about, I think is, is critical. And listening mm-hmm. is another re- really big piece. We have channels that we're able to obtain feedback, feedback from our customers or our non-customers, feedback from the community. Are we listening 
intentionally and carefully? Are we asking mm. the right questions to gather the insight from folks that are within our customer base and then people who are maybe not deciding not to shop with us or mm. not to engage with us? So the, the more uh, the diversity of perspective that you're able to obtain uh, in terms of feedback mm-hmm. will help shape an organization um, in, in terms of the direction they, they need to go or what things they might need to consider in changing or pivoting, apart mm-hmm. from just adding you know, faces on a marketing campaign. Now, let's, let's, let's pull it back a little bit. You were talking about educating yourself and, and asking the right questions. Now... I'm not perfect. I'm on this road to betterment and understanding, you know, every day of the year, but I feel like I copped out and read white fragility and, you know, listened to a few podcasts. And then I told myself that I educated myself uh, and I did the thing that I thought I needed to do. Maybe I took it a step further than some, maybe I took it nowhere near where I could have. And I think we could probably argue both. What does it mean from your perspective to educate yourself? Where do you start looking, you know, and I I would assume you don't stop, but where do I go for the best information? If if I'm trying to do the right thing and and start this practice and to build it into the fabric of, of myself? So, so what I would say is start on Google and ask Google that. Ask Google, you know, I want to learn more about anti-racism. Where mm-hmm. do I go? And you ask that question, you're going to get a ton of resources that mm-hmm. come up. For myself, I'm on this journey right now where I'm trying to unlearn a lot of ableism. Can you tell me I, more about what ableism is and, and yeah, where that's so the for you? way yeah. in which I, I mean, I'm an able-bodied individual, physically able-bodied, and I have a lot of privilege that comes with that. Things that I don't even have to think about. Uh, language that I use that potentially is offensive to folks that I'm just not conscious of. We use the saying very often, the blind leading the blind. And we don't really reflect on, you know, what are we actually trying to say? And can we say mm-hmm. it in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. that isn't, isn't using ableist language. And so for myself, uh, I've started to read a lot about the ways in which able-bodied people perpetuate ableism and how, um, and then based on that learning, I've tried to become more self-aware mm-hmm. of the ways in which I may use language that could offend somebody unintentionally, but nonetheless is harmful. And so bringing more consciousness and awareness to my own everyday actions on the basis of what I read and I learn um, and I practice. So I think that uh, when you ask the question about like, where do you start? Really, I think we all have this ability to be curious. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have this, uh, you know, these thoughts that may cross our mind. Am I doing enough? You know, am I a bad person because I, you know, because I'm white? I've heard that a lot. You know, people are, if people are asking these questions, ask Google, go on Mm -hmm. Google and ask it. And, and you will get a lot of, a, a lot of different perspectives and a lot of information that you can then digest and educate on different, on, on, uh, folks that that carry identities that are not your own that are sharing what you know how how they feel on the matter and I think that's where you start to broaden your own lens so in the work that you're doing what are some is it, is it language change primarily that ends up uh, as the result of, of what you learned is it is it is it uh, how you're living your life is it how you're acting like what is the change that you've undergone over you know let's just call it the transformation you've incurred over the past couple of years it's continuous and it's on all different fronts. It's mm-hmm. language is a part of it, but it's definitely not all of it. I think it's the way that I look at things, the way that I look at our systems, our workplaces, our society. And part of the reason why I started this company is mm-hmm. because it started to become clear, like more and more clear to me that 
design has been exclusive so often. I use this exercise in some of the workshops that I facilitate where I ask folks to think about going to the ice cream store and, you know, imagine you go into an ice cream store and you you purchase ice cream. How are you deciding on the flavor? You know, you go through that experience. And then I ask them to go in with the lens of being a person in a wheelchair and go through that ice cream store experience. You know, how do you get into the building? How do you get into there? How do you decide on a flavor? How do you pay for your ice cream? How do you take your ice cream? How mm-hmm. do you leave? And I think when we start to do that, we're like, oh, yeah, there's a, a difference. Like, how am I supposed to see over the counter? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what if I, I w- was uh, visually impaired? How would I decide on a flavor? And you just start to ask yourself questions and you see limiters. And you, see w- you see points of exclusion in an experience. Mm-hmm. And I think our whole society has been designed in, in a way that privileges folks that are able-bodied, straight, white, male. And so it's our work in the space of diversity and inclusion uh, and equity to try to undo um, that and to try to not create systems that don't work for the people that it's already working for, but sure. that add more folks in the experience so that everybody can participate. For folks that are perhaps new to the conversation, can you just give us the quick ABCs of diversity, inclusion, and equity? What the what yeah. the difference is between the three of them? Yeah, so I would define diversity as the presence of difference in the setting. Mm-hmm. So it's you know something that can be quantifiable in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we see a lot of companies stop at the diversity uh, lens in in organizations a representation right of diversity. Um, inclusion is more of a, a qualitative. Um, thing. It's, it's a feeling, you know, and I think the best way to think about inclusion is on the opposite. I, I think it's Kat Holmes who has written about this in her book, Mismatch Design, about it being um, the opposite of inclusion, right? It's the mm. exclusion is the opposite of, inclusion is the opposite of exclusion. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the way that I would define it is it's a feeling of, of belonging. It's a feeling of being valued and being yeah. leveraged for your to your fullest potential, to, to be able to participate and to feel seen in, as yourself and respected as yourself. And then equity is not equality. Equity is, is fairness and it's specific to each individual person. It's allowing um, and focusing on each individual person and their ability to uh, giving them the tools and, the, and what they need to be successful based on their particular uh, lived experiences and circumstances. It's not assuming that everybody is on the same, uh, starts off at the same playing, same playing field, really uh, not giving everybody the exact same, but looking at who might need more because of their particular circumstance and, mm-hmm. or, or, or need different. Let's run a hypothetical situation in that somebody is listening to what you have to say and they're the leader or an HR individual in their organization and they're thinking, holy, you know, now that Sabrina's saying this, we're not all that diverse. We're actually not all that, not all that inclusive. And when I'm really thinking about it, we're not all that equitable and we could be doing better on all fronts. Uh, The question I would have then for you is where do we start? I would say the best place to start if you are very serious about this is to reach out to someone that that, uh, is a consultant in the space. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, I think that, and to reach out to with a means of compensating for the the additional labor, emotional labor time that uh, employees may wish to share their experiences and and contribute. I mean, uh, a lot of organizations have the skills 
uh, talents and the knowledge of what to do in their companies, in their employee base, uh, which they're not tapping into, or that they're asking those employees to do this sort of off the side of their desk and uh, without, without equitable remuneration. One thing that I would say that's really important is, uh, is that if you want to tackle inequity, you need to do it equitably. Hmm. Interesting. You know, you can't, uh, Twitter just last week said that they have decided to pay their employee resource group leads uh, for the additional labor because they recognize that there is additional contribution that folks from, you know, from underrepresented groups are giving in terms of emotional labor, knowledge, time, et cetera energy and that they deserve compensation for it. So I think that it's really important for organizations to think about the way that they are tackling inequity and doing Mm -hmm. it in an equitable way. Right. Absolutely. Sabrina, this has been awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any way that people can get in touch with you? Um, If people are interested in the subject, I have a podcast. It's called the Inclusive Design Podcast. So feel free to tune in um, there. And uh, yeah, folks can get in touch with me through my website, uh, which is designingforinclusion.ca. Cool. Sabrina, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Great chatting with you. 